So today, I'm going to start with a quiz from last week. I'm kidding. Don't panic or don't walk out. But I, I, I will say that um, I, I'm, I am going to continue with the messages, the series called Peter, a Leader in Progress. And the idea is that the Apostle Peter was an individual that was greatly used by God. And even now, we are uh, learning from his experiences, good and bad. And, you know, he wrote a couple of uh, letters, First and Second Peter. And so 2,000 years later, we're still being blessed by his life, his actions, his decisions, his experiences, and his writing, all by God's grace. And we also get to know that Peter was an individual just like us, uh, you know, faulty, weak in many areas, impulsive, uh, did a lot of things for which we make fun of him now, which we shouldn't. But today we get a chance to look at a, a portion in the scriptures that is probably very familiar to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. If you have a Bible that has headings or, or titles as headings, it might say something like, Jesus walks on water, and that is one of the primary things that occurs there. But we're going to take a look at that portion, and we're pretty much going to stay there and take a look at what Peter had to learn as a leader in progress, some of the things that Peter had to learn and some of the things that we have to learn, frankly. I believe that every Christian is a leader. I believe that every Christian is a leader. We don't have the same responsibilities and we don't have the same leadership, even capabilities in a sense, humanly speaking, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, there is no reason why any Christian should not be a leader. And it starts at home, right? It starts with you leading your life and, and actually being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are uh, a family member, which all of us are, you could be a leader at home, you could be a leader at school, you could be a leader at work, you could be the leader among your friends and relatives. Every Christian is called to be a leader. And also, a lot of people are born with uh, leadership qualities. So the big question is, is a leader made or is a leader born? And I would say both. Um, I think as, as a school teacher, I've, I've had the pleasure of teaching first grade, second grade, fifth grade. I'm teaching sixth grade now. I've taught seventh grade. And having had over a thousand students, even, even when they're really young, you immediately are able to see certain characteristics in individuals that you could say, well, you know, that person, if, apply, if they apply their, their skills, who knows what they'll, they'll become. They can do anything. And then there's people like me when I was a kid, and still to this day, they probably looked at me and said, like, oh, this guy, I don't know, even special tutor, he won't do. But you could tell. You could tell a lot by, by your natural characteristics and abilities. And some of us are born with what one might say more leadership-type qualities, and others have to develop those uh, a lot more. But nonetheless, whether you're born with a lot of you know, leadership qualities and characteristics uh, or not, we all have to be refined, especially if we're going to be leaders in, the, in, in, in the God's kingdom. A lot of the times, certain abilities that, that the world um, praises or admires or values in the church could actually be quite detrimental. So Peter had to learn some, some important lessons here. He uh, the disciples. Let's look at, um, let's, look at, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. 
The title of this morning's message is Lord, Save Me. Lord, Save Me. And the main point is that God is glorified when His children surrender and turn to Him in faith for help. God is glorified when His children surrender and turn to Him in faith for help. Now, I don't know what kind of battles you're facing right now, what kind of battles you're fighting, what kind of wars you're in right now, but I would venture to say that all of us are. And uh, some of the songs that we're singing today are very applicable to what we're talking about because they talk about how Jesus is our Savior. He's the one that rescues us. He's the one that turns, turns ashes into wonderful things and, and our trials into testimonies and all that. And so I don't know what you're going through, but I think that this morning's message is for all of us, certainly, but the result and the, the answer to any trial that we're going to is, is really the same one. It's really the same. And that is getting to the point where we learn and admit that we can't do it on our own. And we stop fighting. And we surrender to the Lord and say what Peter said, Lord, you saved me. I'm done trying myself. So let's take a look at that. Um, we'll, read, we'll read verses 22 to 33, and then we'll come back. And you have a, an outline on your bulletin. I would encourage you to, there's pencils there for you. You know, fill it out, make some notes. And then if you take a look at that outline, I, I don't think it needs any explanation, but under every point, there's also a series of uh, Bible sites for you to take a look and and see some portions in Scripture that relate to that. We don't always get to those, but I figure there's some of you with that leadership quality that go home and you want to read other stuff that has to do with those points. So I would encourage you to do that as well. So take a look. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And I would imagine that most of you are very familiar with this portion, but what we're going to do is we are going to, we're going to look at it in light of what it is that Peter had to go through and learn through this experience. Very interesting. It says, let me see here. All right. The context before we start reading is that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has just fed the 5,000. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and they want to make him forcibly, they want to make him king. And so he retreats from them, from the crowd. And then we pick up in verse 22. It says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And when Peter, 
And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for allowing us on this beautiful morning to get together in order to worship you, sing songs about your worthiness, and to be able to gather and hear your message. I pray that you would lead us this morning, that you would guide us, that you would help us to be able to focus and just hear from you. I pray for your blessing, and I ask this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So I think one of the main points in just about any story in the Bible is God, God being glorified. And I believe one of the main points in this story is that the disciples and everybody else that might have been on that boat, as a result of Jesus walking onto the boat and then the waves seizing, uh, they were able to get a better understanding who, who this Jesus was. You know, we get to have the Bible now, and if you've read, if you understand the gospel, and you, uh, if you've read the gospels, you, you have a very good idea of who Jesus was and his claims. The, the disciples, the apostles, people that followed him, didn't understand a lot of what you and I, in hindsight, un- understand. Right? Even the disciples, they, the Lord told them things, and he, and he told them, you're not, un- not going to understand what I'm telling you now until after I... I resurrect. And obviously when they received the Holy Spirit, a lot of things changed for them and their eyes were open and they understood a lot of things. So when the Lord walks on water, first of all, and then he walks into the boat and and basically calms the storm, uh, as a result, it says that the people on the boat came to him and they worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So Jesus showed them some of his supernatural nature, abilities, powers. And as a result, those people got a better glimpse of who he was and and so worshipped him. Now, a sub-teaching here is what goes on with the disciples in general and specifically for our purposes what happens with Peter. At At your outline here, the point number one is that the Lord Jesus is a test giver. Jesus is the test giver. Look at verse 22 in Matthew 14. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. He made his disciples get into the boat, and he stayed back. Did he know what he was doing? Of course he knew what he was doing, right? He, in fact, he's the one that sends the wind to cause this So the Lord knows exactly what he's doing, and yet in what he's doing, he's teaching them a lesson, he's submitting them into a test, and he makes them get into the boat. Not sure why he had to make them. I got to confess, as I was reading this and just meditating on this, my mind was going all over the place. For example, like, why did he have to make them, right? I would imagine that Peter, John might have said, like, well, come with us. Sounds reasonable, right? Well, how are you going to get to this side? Come with us. We don't want to leave you with this crowd. They want to forcibly make you king. It's not right. Okay, half of us will go. Half of us will stay. 
the Lord says he put everybody in the boat. He made them get into the boat and go off, and he stayed back. And one of the things that we see here is that Jesus is the test giver. And I think this is very, very important because it gives us some perspective. See, all of us go through tests, and I'm sure everybody here is going through at least one. But some of you guys don't realize that you're going to a test, through a test, and some of us don't realize we're going through a test that God is giving us. And I think that makes the big difference. Because if you're going through difficulties and trials, and you don't realize that it's, it's, it's possibly God testing you, you could very easily become bitter, angry, upset at the circumstances, maybe at the people, in this case at the waves, at the wind, at Jesus. For putting. If you don't understand that Jesus is the test giver, you may resent the test and what God is using to test your faith. And that makes a big difference. We go through trials, we could either say, Lord, I know this is from you. What is going on? What do I need to learn? Let me submit myself to you. Let me get on my knees. Versus what is going on here? And everybody doesn't like, you know, nobody likes me here. And everybody's against me. And, you know, school is that. And the teachers are that. And work. And my manager. And you fill in the blank. Jesus is the test giver. He makes his disciples get into the boat. And Jesus knows exactly what he's about to put them through. Important for us to realize that when we go through trials, it's God doing a work in us. And I could end it there. And that could be a big lesson for us to just chew on and realize that whatever it is that you're going through, chances are God is using it to mold you and to shape you. And tests are never pleasant, right? And when we take tests, we feel like we're alone. Unless you're a cheater. He does you one of those. You know, anytime I give a test to my students, first thing I say is like, cover your answers, make sure. And then the people that I know are likely to, you know, get a little curious during the test. I'm like, okay, now you go sit over there by yourself. And, but a test is, is an individual thing. And then whenever I give a test also as a teacher, you know, I walk, part of my job is to walk around, make sure nobody's cheating or doing anything. So inevitably I'm walking around and there's always somebody that will raise their hand. I'm thinking, okay, maybe they need a pencil. It's like, yeah, what's up? And they're like, uh, is this how I do number five? I'm like, I don't know, is it? <laughs> Can't help them. I wouldn't do a good job as a teacher if I helped this person with number five. My job is to refrain from helping. I distance myself from them. Guess what God does when he's testing you? Same thing. And sometimes you feel like, God, where are you? He's like, I'm giving you a test. I can't get in there and help you on that. Isn't that interesting? That when we go through tests and trials, that it's the Lord giving us these tests, and therefore He's not going to jump in and rescue us until we learn the lesson. That's deep for me. sure for all of us. Count it all joy, says in James 1, when you find yourself in different trials. Why? Because there's an outcome that God expects through these trials. And it may not be pleasant for you, but it's good for you. And our job is to trust our good God. You know, he says that he's never going to test us beyond what we can handle. That with every test, there is an exit, there is a way out. And guess what the way out is? Third point on that one, I won't tell you right now. 
So, so just keep that in mind. You know, God wants to make us leaders. He wants to use us in various ways. And in order for, for him to use us, he first often needs to break us and mold us and shape us to what he wants us to be. And he does that through trials, through testing of our faith. And we can't resent that because he's the test giver. I want to spend a lot of time on number two, so I'm going to move on to point number two, which is that sometimes our own crisis. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> look at what happened. Let's take a look at Peter. Because in this case, we, when we start off, Jesus gets all his disciples and puts them on the boat, and they're all going to go through this trial. But within that trial for the whole group, there's an individual lesson here for Peter that we want to spend some time looking at. So it says, the Lord sends his disciples, he gets away by himself, and he, um, he lets them row, by the way, right? All night. He doesn't show up till about 3 to 6 in the morning. That means all night they spent rowing and working on their own effort. Remember, at least four of these apostles, disciples, were fishermen. They knew what they were doing. They were accustomed to facing these types of situations. And so they were trying to, as best they knew, to get out of their situation. And the Lord lets them all night. He lets them roll all night. Does that sound familiar to you? Sometimes the Lord just step back and say, like, okay, spend all your energy. Try everything you can. Use up all your wit. And he lets us do that so that we get to the point where we have no choice but to give up and say, I, I'm tired, I can't. I can't. So it says, he puts them on the boat, verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, so he sent them out before the evening came, and when he was alone there, and the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary, now in the fourth watch of the night, that's 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Nobody walks on the sea unless you're God. Or Peter. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. So these are grown men. Accustomed to being out there in the rough sea. And it says that they cried out for fear. I don't know what they sounded, what that sounded like. I would love to have a recording of that. <laughs> and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus saying, I'm here, relax, it's all taken care of. Everything is going to be all right. He walks in at his timing. You know when Jesus shows up to rescue you? You know when Jesus chooses to step in and end the test? I do know the answer to this one. Sometimes I ask you questions that I don't know the answer to, but this one I do. You know when he steps in? Whenever he wants. It's not always at the beginning, it's not always in the middle. It's not always right before you lose your temp. It's, it might be whenever he wants. Whenever he decides the test is over, that's when he steps in. 
Now, we would love to have some kind of formula, right? All I got to do is get on my knees and pray, and then it's over. doesn't work that way. God is sovereign, and he steps in whenever he pleases. It just happens to be the best time for him to be glorified and for you to grow. We have to learn to be okay with that. That's tough. So he gets there, and he says, all right, all you guys, relax. I'm here. It's all going to be okay, but not for Peter. That wasn't good enough for Peter. Peter creates his own crisis. Check this out. I mean, think about it. If you were on the boat, you're scared to death. Jesus says, it's me, relax, it's all over. What would you say? What would you do? I'd like to say, I would say, thank you. And that's it. But not Peter. Look at what Peter does. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. My question is, why, Peter? He could have said so many things. Lord, if it's you, stop the wind. Lord, if it is you, help us get to the other side. Lord, if it is you, calm the sea. No. He in fact, made things worse. Everybody calm down. I'm here. It's all going to be all right. Lord, if it is you, let me get off the boat onto the raging sea. Let me come to you. And then what's even more strange to me is, somewhat, the Lord says, come. Oh, boy. Has the Lord ever allowed you to do something you thought it was a good idea. And the Lord said, sure, try it. And then you try it, and then when you're flat on your face, you're thinking like, what was I thinking? And why did the Lord help me? Then we blame him, right? Lord, you opened the doors. Why did you open the door for her? We blame him. We do that all the time. I think if you really pay attention, we do that all the time. So Peter wasn't happy with Jesus saying, it's, don't worry about it, I'm here. He, he, in fact, makes things worse and creates his own crisis. So the Lord says, come. And it's a lot more complicated. We could dissect that a lot more. Like Peter had, Peter had the, the character to say that. I mean, nobody else spoke up. But he immediately speaks up. Lord, if it is you, then command me to come to you. And the fact that he says, hey, he had the faith to say, if the Lord commands me to go, I will get off this boat and I will walk and... I mean, he didn't even think about it twice, it seems. It seemed like no big deal. If it is the Lord, he's already walking on water. And if he commands me, I'll be able to walk on water. You got to love that about Peter, too. And that's part of that, maybe that natural leadership quality that, that Peter had that needed to be, you know, kind of molded. And, 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 uh, but, but he says that. And look at what happens. So the Lord says, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He what? My Bible says that he walked on the water. You know, 7 billion people, more or less, live on planet Earth right now. I don't know how many other buildings have passed away in all of human history, but 
From what we know, only two people have walked on water. And one of them was God himself. And the other one? Peter. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. So check this out. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. So he had faith, and then he didn't have so much faith. Sounds so much like me. And beginning to sing, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. You know, he could have just said that when he was on the boat and Jesus showed up. Jesus says, don't be afraid, I'm here. He could have said, Lord, save us. No, that wasn't good enough for him. He needed a little extra adventure, excitement in his life. But he nonetheless gets to the point where, he's, where he has to surrender, and he says, Lord, save me. And beloved, I really think that that's a good place to be in in life. I know it's not a pleasant one. I mean, if you're saying, Lord, save me, that means you probably already tried everything that you could. That means you probably, you know, spent all night rowing to no avail. But if you're at the point where you're able to say, Lord, save me, that's actually a good place to be in. It's not a pleasant one, but it's a good place to be in. Because otherwise, you're still fighting. Otherwise, you're still thinking you don't quite need him. Otherwise, you're thinking, I can still pull this off. Are you like me at, at all? No, 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 I know I messed up, but I think I can do this. No, no, I just got to fix this and that, and then it'll be all right. No, it's not. You need him. I need him. That's how he's glorified. Lord, save me. Now, obviously, when it comes to salvation and entering into relationship with God, he is the only way, truth, and life. But even as Christians, we need him. Every day we need him. Every hour we need him. And when we forget that, that's when we get in trouble. And sometimes God has to put us through situations or we put ourselves in situations where we get to the point where we say, Lord, save me. Now, you know, Peter's not the only one that put himself through or caused his own crisis. If you look, starting from the Old Testament, you have people like, like David who didn't go out to battle in the spring like he was supposed to and he should have as king. And then he just happens to be walking around the roof and then he happens to be looking down there and then there's this beautiful woman bathing and you probably know the story after that. Gets himself in major trouble. Or Abraham, the father of faith. You know, it was promised a son to him that he would be a father of many nations and he's old and he's thinking, Sarah, no, that's, I don't see that working and... And then Sarah gives him an idea, and he's like, okay, I'll go with that. Happy wife, happy life, if you say so, dear. And he has a Ishmael with the Egyptian servant, gets himself in all kinds of trouble. And go down the line, and, and so many people like us that we've, cre- we've created our own crisis. But Lord willing, it'll get us to the point where we're, where we're at, the, at the stage in our lives where we could say, Lord, Help me. It's got to be you. You have to rescue me. All right. So sometimes we create our own crisis. And even through our own crisis, however, 
point number three, point number three, is that the Lord Jesus is the only Savior. So whether it is of your own making, whatever you're going through, or whether it's something beyond your control that God is putting you through, it's the same, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Now, He might use other people, He might use different circumstances, but beloved, He is our Savior. No matter what you're going through, whether it's relational issues, issues at school, finances, Jesus is the answer to whatever you're going through. And it's a matter of getting to the point where we surrender and in faith turn to Him and say, Lord, save me. Save me. So, look at the um, verse 20, verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out His hand and caught Him and said to Him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Reminds me of the man that tells the Lord, I have faith, I believe, help my unbelief. We have to recognize that our faith has limits, and our faith is little. You know, hopefully we don't go around thinking like, well, I'm a, I'm a faith, I'm a very, I possess a lot of faith. I don't think, I don't think we have a, all that much, as much as we probably think we do. So he tells them, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Peter starts looking around at the waves, at the wind, and forgets, forgets seemingly, seemingly almost immediately the faith that he did have to be able to say, Lord, if it is you, just command me to get off this boat, and I will get into that raging sea. No questions asked. Just, if it's you, just tell me that, and I'll do it. And again, that reminds me so much of myself, especially the latter part where I start sinking and, and look at the, uh, when I get my eyes off the Lord. And I hope you're encouraged by that, because I think Peter needed to learn this, because what would have, you know, th- this same, this same um, narrative is told in Mark and in, in John. And funny enough, only Matthew mentions Peter walking on water, and I don't know why. Mark doesn't mention that. John doesn't mention Peter getting off the boat and walking on water. But could you imagine what would have happened if Peter would have made it to the Lord? And then he probably would have given him a big hug. And then they would have walked back side by side. If I were Peter, I'd probably have my arm around Jesus. Walking back towards the other losers, disciples that didn't have the faith that I had to get off the boat. I don't know if that was the reason, but I could just imagine. And this is something that is, that, that we're all prone to, beloved. Getting a big head when we lead something. I am the ministry leader of the Crosspoint official what? Nothing. But we're all prone to that. Getting that big head, looking down on people. And so I would have to imagine, and hopefully I don't get struck by lightning here, but I would imagine if Peter wouldn't have doubted, he would have made it to Jesus, given him a big hug, walked back to the boat, kind of looking down on everybody else a little bit. Did you see what I, did anybody catch it on their camera phone? Can, 
Let's airdrop that. Show it to me. Let's post that right now. Me walking on water. You know, only Jesus and I have walked on water. There had to be some kind of element to that. And I can just imagine, like in Galatians, when Paul later on confronts Peter because he's being a hypocrite. You know, Paul's like, Peter, you're being a hypocrite. Yeah, but you remember I walked in water with Jesus? He probably would have never let anybody forget that. Instead, we don't even read about that except here in Matthew. Why they didn't include it? Maybe it was because it was, I mean, think about it. Was it, was, it a, was, it, was it something awesome that he walked on water even if it was for a little bit, or was it a major fail? Or was it both? Yeah, right, kind of both. Like he could still say that he walked on water, but then people would say like, yeah, Peter, but why don't you tell us what happened after? Was that before you were drowning or after? I don't remember, Peter. Remind me. You know, the, the Lord says, if you want to be great in his kingdom, you have to be the least. You can't go around leading with a big head. Because guess what? Nobody's going to follow. And then you're going to be like, but pointing at your... your um, tag, your label. I'm, I'm the leader. You're supposed to follow me. You know, if you've got to tell people to follow you, that's, that's not a good sign of your leadership. And there's nothing I think that turns people off from le- following somebody than someone who is conceited or proud or arrogant. And I think Peter had to learn this. I think part of the lesson here for Peter was, you could do great things, Peter, but it's because of me. And I am greater than these waves, and I'm greater than this wind, and I'm greater than anything else. I'm above everything, but you got to stay with me. You can't rely on your own understanding or your own abilities. I mean, he got off the boat. He was on the right track. And then he saw the waves, and somehow in his mind, the waves were greater than his Savior. But that happens to us all. So this is not a Peter bashing message, all right? This is a... This is, this is all of us. So there was a big lesson for everybody. Jesus makes them get on the boat. But there was a particular lesson that Peter had to cause. And whether Peter caused it, I mean, he certainly it looks like he caused this crisis. And I know a lot of times, the times that I've got in trouble, it's, it's for my own doing. You know, bad decisions. I thought it was a good idea. And, you know, maybe it wasn't such a great idea. And yet, the Lord saves us from them all. You know, only Christians can say it's going to be all right. No matter what, it's going to be all right. No matter what. For a Christian, it's always going to be all right. Maybe not here, and maybe not now, but at the end, it's always, for every Christian, going to be all right. And we need to learn that. We need to learn that Jesus is the test giver so that we don't become bitter, angry towards situations or people that God might be using to teach us some lessons. we got to realize that sometimes we create our own crisis, and I think that helps, so we don't go around blaming everybody. we got to learn that, hey, we also got to do things right. And sometimes it, it would have been okay for Peter, I think, to say, Lord, thanks for coming. Save us all. Not command me and I'll go to you. And we have to understand that Jesus is the only Savior. 
He's the one that promised never to leave us or forsake us. He is the one that is mighty to save. He's the one that we sing these awesome songs to because he is the one, the only one that is mighty to save. And he's willing to save us whether he's putting us through the trial and the test or whether he's allowing us to get into trouble because of our own doing. He's awesome like that. He's patient. He's loving. He's understanding. He's gracious. And so for us, whatever leadership capabilities God has given us, whatever leadership responsibilities God has given us, it's the same. We need to learn to depend on Him. We need to learn to trust Him. We need to accept that He's a sovereign one. And, even if, and, and within that sovereignty, He has the right and the privilege and to, to test our faith and to allow us to, fat, to fall flat on our face every once in a while so that He will bring us to the point where we can call out to Him cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. Why? Because I need him. I needed him at the time of my salvation. I need him now all the time. You had to learn that lesson. We have to learn that lesson. And, uh, and by God's grace, he continues to teach us. And as he did with Peter, and he used him mightily. And he wants to do the same with us. Not a, maybe not in the exact same way, but if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you know the way, the truth, and the life. You're following him. By definition, that's what a Christian is. And then you have then an awesome opportunity to bring people along with you and lead them. Not because we're anything, but because we're following the one that is everything. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. All right. So I'll dismiss this with prayer. Gracious Father, thank you so much for allowing us this awesome time and meditating of your word. Thank you for blessing us with the opportunity to open up your word and about Peter greatness, your sovereignty. Forgive us, Father, for the crisis that we've grown and help us to depend on you for, for our rescue, for our saving. You, you're a patient God, to be willing to faith, even as Peter uh, or sinking in that water, he did get a chance to walk on the water with you. And that's what we want to do as well, Father. But help us to be wise in our decision-making, in our dependence. That's in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.